Good morning. It's uh, Sunday morning. It's the Seaward Ghost <clears throat> Podcast, episode three of Landover Lives, Landover Love. Good morning, everybody. It is Sunday morning. We're doing. We're releasing a little bonus round here uh, to wrap up. We think we're wrapping up the um, this three part series that was influenced by um, a recent uh, fighting in between Israel and Palestine in the news. And we wanted to give a little historical background, and we also wanted to give a little theological background. So episode one, if you haven't listened to it, you should maybe go back. I say maybe because I can't quite remember what we talked about. Anyway, uh, go back, check out part one, and then yesterday we released part two, which was more of the physical history of the land, of the people, of the tribes there. Yes, and I just want to say that... She made a mistake. Uh, well, I, don't, I might have made a mistake in the term or the amount of years that Israel was actually in charge of that land because it was the time of the of the kings the three kings and then there was the time of the judges but the book I read didn't really list the time of the judges but anyway never mind sorry if I made a mistake if you want to correct me very cool um yeah I'm not a theologian and um yeah, just learning as I go. That's all I wanted to say. Apologize for any errors I may have made. Feel free to correct me and send me corrections. Yeah, and uh, what's the email? Is there an email on the website, or how does that work? Um, they can email me at BridgetRalph at sbcglobal.net. And that's B-R-I-D-G-E-T-T-E-R-A-L-P-H at sbcglobal.net. Yes. Now listen, if you have some constructive criticism, uh, just suggest how it could be better. Don't be mean. Unnecessarily. Just, um, you know, let's rip our arguments apart, not each other. There's our, there's there's what I want to say. This is Brian, Ralph, and that's my wife sitting over there. And it's Sunday morning and it's 5 a.m. in the South Texas part of the world here. And um, Bridget is uh, a Texan by birth. And she um, was raised in Silsby, Texas, moved to Chicago, got a uh, undergraduate in music from Columbia University. And then has been a fine full-time mom for a long time of three great kids and is a full-time painter now and sells paintings at BridgetBridget.com. That's right. Now, I'm... Uh, what am I? What are you, Brian? I'm... Uh, well, it's a long story. I'm, um, I'm a Celtic prankster. That's what I am. That's my <laughs> new title. No, I'm an agile coach. I help businesses and software teams deliver software. And I, we don't have a whole lot of time for podcasting. So what we do is we just kind of let it roll and hope for the best. So That's right. Uh, and what else? I like do- that term, Celtic prankster. I like That's it too. That's a great uh, name for like a podcast is or it? a yeah. blog or yeah, like your tagline on you know Instagram or whatever platform you would beyond I, I think so yeah I just came across that today and uh, so uh, did you make that up or ju- did you... just this morning oh well good I like it no no I didn't make that up actually I got that from these British funny guys called Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse and they imitate they did the phone of the funniest skits I've ever seen where they imitate Bono on the edge oh gosh that's hysterical and they you what's funny about it is they're two English guys imitating Irish guys and when yeah. they do that they, they pick the most um, leprechaun-y sounding Irish thing Excuse and at me. one point, Bono, played by Harry Enfield, Excuse says me. to the edge, look at you, you little Celtic prankster. And it was just so funny. <laughs> anyway, that's where I got the idea. But there's a whole other story behind that as I go on my own uh, personal coaching journal journey. Uh, this is a podcast about coming out of evangelicalism. Um, and um, well, well, we've actually both had uh, some pretty deep fundamentalist roots. Um, 
uh, yeah, and, and and so it's coming out of some of that 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 mindset. And if you are evangelical and you're concerned by us, please don't be. Just just listen in. I'm not saying all evangelicalism is fundamentalism, but um, uh, it it definitely evangelicalism is sits on the chassis of fundamentalism. And anyway, I'm right. rambling on here. So well, it kind of sits above fundamentalism and kind of says that's not we are not that. Yeah. And it feels like a place of freedom when you've left true fundamentalism. Yes. That's even more strict. Right. With more rules. And when you leave it and you enter evangelicalism, it can feel like a breath of fresh air. Yes. But you still don't realize that you've just entered into a whole new realm of rules and regulations well, I would and argue, ideologies and things. Yeah, so I, I would argue that evangelicalism is really fundamentalism with skinny jeans, tattoos, and yeah. fog machines. That's really what it is. Yeah, it is. It's like a cooler version. It doesn't Yeah. It doesn't jump out off the surface at you. Like yeah. you're not wearing long prairie dresses and not but allowed it, to yeah. cut your hair. But the theology like that, is but... the same. They're still holding the same theology, which I'm saying is the chassis. Right. You can change the car. Right. Um, you can change how the car looks on the outside, but the fundamental is uh, the fundamental. Oh, I'm using the word twice. The fundamental chassis and engine of that is the same. So, now, does everyone listening know what the word fundamentalism means when we say that? Oh yeah, it doesn't mean a suicide vest. It it comes from um, it actually comes from a sequence of tracts brochures that came out um, in the 1800s called the fundamentals okay by some theologians and they were reacting to a liberal slant of theology where the scriptures were being pulled apart and, mm-hmm. and studied like any other ancient text and yeah. that freaked them out and because they were saying this is god's inspired word all of it and these are the fundamentals of the christian faith so that's that's where that term came from okay okay so today i did not know that um, it's brand new information. Yeah, so um, there's a fear now that we'll get too much in the weeds, and you can be the person who asks questions. I'll be talking most today. I will do my best. You're going to teach like me. Like you did yesterday. You taught me teach yesterday. The audience. What are my microphone levels correct? Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, it's good. Um, so, where we left off yesterday was. Um, it we it was the story of uh, really the roots of the of the division of the family. Really, it's a division of a family. It's the yeah. division of Isaac and Ishmael. Yeah. And then and then the division of the land. So you kind of got into that. In episode three, we're calling him um, from power score to Palestine. How a Dublin cult influenced American Christianity and, and foreign policy. So which is fascinating. I think so. So that, that um, connection is there. It is there. Yeah. <laughs> so you probably wonder what power score is. Power score is actually a a. It's like a little mansion, like Downton Abbey in South Dublin. It might be Wicklow, near me, and I grew up going there quite a bit as a kid because mm-hmm. they're beautiful gardens. And um, in some of this uh, learning we've been doing, um, a lot of the American foreign policy uh, towards Israel um, was influenced by Bible studies taking place in that building. Wow. I I would submit, and that's what I'm going to try and draw the thread here, not because it's you know. It's, it's pretty crazy. It's hometown. So um, uh, I'm trying to think if I start from the beginning or if I start from the end and work backwards. I'll start from the beginning. You just got to trust that there's a thread here. So, right. Um, so how does this power score connect with Palestine? So um, John Nelson Darby, born in 1800 in Dublin, Anglo-Irish priest, goes to Trinity College, Dublin, 
which was a Protestant um, college at the time. I guess it's if you've still never is. visited Trinity College in Dublin, you should go. It's gorgeous. It is. The Book of Kells is there. Lovely, lovely place, and it's in the center of Dublin. But you should go there. But um, he uh, something. I think something happens in the classroom there because Darby's influenced by a professor there, and he has some classmates. So, um, but he comes up with this this theology. Mm-hmm. Um, that is quite novel and new at the time, and it's called uh, dispensationalism. And I'm going to let you Google that, and you you should Wikipedia what dispensationalism is. But it's basically looking at an overarching story behind the Bible where God works in these different dispensations and moves us through mm-hmm. these ages and stuff like that. It's almost as I think about it, it's almost like when we think of uh, astrology ages, like the age of Pisces, the age of Aquarius, where we shift. Right. It's right. almost like a theological version of that, where different things yeah. are happening in the ages. Um, so why is that important? It's important because what he comes up with in the in in Dublin um, has heavily influenced evangelical theology today. Yeah, a lot of evangelicals would not even be aware of that. Right. I've no, I've been a Christian. I'm not a Christian anymore, but my whole life's pretty much spent in the Christian world, and this is the first time. Yeah. That I. And I, I did more than just like going to church. I like to read a lot of books yeah. about theology and study the Bible and all and the history and all that. And I've never come across this information. Yeah. So ever. Yeah. So a lot of it is. Um, so what's going on in the 1800s here at this point? There's a few things going on. There's. Let's just look at the context outside of Dublin. It's. Um, uh, there's new schools of thought coming towards the Bible that are starting to starting to question the sources of it and mm-hmm. as i said earlier you're getting this pushback um so so around this time you start having these end times theology where people are getting very focused on the end times where jesus yeah. is going to come back and god's going to judge now that that focus has been around for years um wasn't it around immediately it's always after around jesus it's always died? been around there's always people predicting we're in the end times let's right. let's wrap but things didn't up the disciples believe that jesus yes. was going to come back actually his, before they word, even died and he said there any, well he said that's what he said i'll be back before you die oh he did i think so i have to find the scripture but i mean you, you well could, that was the, wrong then right? well well yeah i mean it's um you have to go back and find the scripture find out what was actually said so um so I grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. When I was 26, I became a born-again Christian, started going to evangelical church. And right away from, from Christian evangelical media on TV, End Times was a big deal. Yeah. Welcome to church. Let me tell you about End Times. Like that, ne- There was never that. The book of Revelation in our house was in the back of the Bible. And if you got a flower and you want to pre- preserve it, you'd put it in the book of Revelation. Yeah. Because the Bible was so heavy, it would press you know down what, the flower. Brian? Yes. I think that's the best use for that book. For the book of Revelation? For the book of, of a Revelation. a bunch of flowers back there? Is just to smash flowers huh. in it. Because other than that, I really see that all it has done is cause damage yeah, yeah, in the world. Yeah. So um, So let's just use it to smash, smash flowers, flowers and that's that's about it. So as a Catholic, we wouldn't read it. In fact, it would be odd if you did. And looking back, maybe... And I don't think people should read it because... <laughs> they were like, oh no, we got a weapon here. People, it turns everyone into schizophrenics. It's almost like uh, if you're a Marvel fan, um, the... the uh, what do you call that square cube that the 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 gemstones the um whatever you call them i have no idea when you come across one you want to hide it and lock it up because it has such power and i think you know the catholics maybe were like let's hide this book because if people start interpreting it from themselves it's going to go nuts and that's probably yeah i mean my dad would sit for hours at the table 
And he was so focused on Revelation and Old Testament prophecies and all this stuff. And it really didn't do him any good at all No, it, it <clears throat> in do- his life. I mean, yeah, it's just you spend all this time focusing on the end of the world and you're not focusing on... And I'm not saying everyone does this, but you're not focusing on what's going on in the day-to-day of your life that you should really be focused on. Yeah. Now, I mean, we, tonight, today is the first time um, that we're going to have someone on the show. Got a friend of mine called Donald Akins, and he wrote well, Ex- I, Exporting the Rapture. Can I say one more thing about Please. the end times? Yeah. Here's one thing, and we weren't going to discuss this, but talking about the end of the world is also, there are a lot of Christian people coming out or people coming out of Christianity and some staying in, but also realize that as children, they were very much traumatized yes. by this theology. Can you hold And I was, I'm one of them. Do you want to discuss that later at the end? We can discuss it now. What I was going to say is I don't want to lose sight of that, what you're about to talk about. I want to add that in. So we can add it an hour later. So let's, well, let's what do you hit, want no, to hit, do? It, hit it now because it's okay. an important piece because there's literally people traumatized yeah, some, by, by some of this theology that yes. was born. Yes. In Wicklow. So some some people were not traumatized by it. Like some kids, I think, have the ability to hear that the end of the world is going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. And if you're saved, you get to go to heaven. But if you're not, you go to hell. And then other kids hear this and they it impacts them on a greater level. And I'm one of those people that it had this effect because in my church, the end times was talked about in nearly every service. Um, and you had, there was a story in the Bible about the virgins. And if you were a virgin, you got to go. If you, if you had, the virgins had oil in their lamp and they would sing these really scary songs. It's actually like sitting in a, in a live horror movie. Ah. And uh, on, say, you were in these or you heard children about died. The days grew old. Um, oh my gosh. It was, I wish we'd all been ready. I wish we'd all been ready. Oh, yeah, yeah. Two men walking up a hill, one disappears, and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. And you are literally sitting there freaking out as a child. Like, I I would be so terrified that I wasn't going to have oil in my lamp. Uh, Which basically meant, like, do you have enough of the Spirit of God in you to go to Is that to how they interpreted the oil in your lamp? Yeah, the how oil did you, in How your did lamp. you get more of the Spirit of God? Well, it's different based on what kind of church you go to. I'm guessing, yeah. So, you know, in our church, it just meant, you know, following all the rules of the dress code and all the holiness things you had to do and reading your Bible and praying. Um, so you're how old when you're freaking out like this? Oh, from six years old and up. So you're worried at the age of six, you're stressed about if you have enough oil in your lamp. This is metaphorical, right? Yes. And I'm stressed about the second coming of Christ, the end of the world, war, Armageddon. And that, because you guys are talking about that a lot in your church. Yes. We're talking about it over and over and over. Yeah. And this theology comes about what Brian is going to talk about the origins of this. So Yeah. So I want to say cuz And I, it's taught in Sunday school. Yeah. Um I often, you know, we're uh I want to talk seriously about triggers for people cuz often yeah. people give a um there's people have stumbled across this and and there are triggers we're going to hit and it's it's going to cause physical stress in your body. Because some of you actually have PTSD from um from this, I'm convinced. 
Yeah, some people probably do. And, and it might be. This might be a depending. And we may, we're not going to. We're going to talk about more the theological roots of what I'm right. saying in the theological right. roots. I mean, you. Oh, here's another thing. Yeah. They teach you too that you have to be ready to die for the name of Christ. Right. So you're a kid sitting in church, and you're hearing the preachers talk about. Well, if they come and ask you, who's and, okay? Who's to they? Deny, <clears throat> they. It's like the the enemy people who coming. are warring against God because right. you know Jesus is. Yeah. You know, there are all these horses of death, the the horse of chlorine gas that's going to come and like There's poison. There's a horse of chlorine gas? Yeah, it's like the pale horse. And pe- So the, they're talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is yeah, in Revelation. Yeah, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And somebody you know said that was the horse of chlorine gas. Chlorine gas, like chemical warfare. How it's did like, they come up with that? Where does, does this, Well, it's in Revelation. The chlorine gas isn't. Some, well, some, they say it's chlorine Some backwards gas. preacher, no offense. No, I'm not trying to be yeah. nice here, came up with that. And it, let, let me go back to that for a sec. So we talked about the anti-intellectual movement that swept through the states. Right. And there's some great resources out there on that. Um, just just type anti-intellectualism in America by Richard Hofstadter. Right. You can you can, you can can look at um, Total Truth by Nancy Piercy. is also good. She gets into it. But um, what happens is, and it's kind of important to inject this, is yeah. that... There's a massive rejection of the seminaries on the East Coast, East Coast, during the time when the, when there's Western expansion and Western expansion is happening so fast that you can't get pastors to pastor these churches. So instead of sending them back for an expensive theological education where they're actually going to study the scriptures and Greek and Hebrew and theology, they say, screw that. We're just going to read our Bible and get self-trained, which I think leads to some problems. Right. Um, but in their mind, it's like, well, it's true. I mean, you know. And you know, you take it to its logical extreme. You have well, cases like we talked about. Well, they started focusing more on emotionalism, yeah, and yeah. the experience. Yeah. That's when you get like these very like spiritual churches that yeah do what's called <clears throat> shouting, which is like dancing in the spirit and speaking in tongues and healings, and uh, basically they get you going as if you were like in a disco or at a yeah, football it's very game. Effective, yeah, well, if you can't, if you're not, if you're not able to, or a to, concert, like it's. But you need an outlet, though, right? Because if you're the other part of this religion is no drinking and none of that stuff, so right? You, you got to get your. It's your high. You got to get your high somewhere, right? It's your high, basically. So like you're not going out and having a cocktail. Because I went to a, a fundamentalist wedding. I'm telling you, I've been to funerals that were more fun. Yeah. I, I, I literally have been to funerals where I've laughed more than I did yeah. at that What well, does it mean you can't have fun without alcohol? No, that's true. Just to be clear. That's not true. I've had a lot of fun times without alcohol. But it wasn't, but just, it wasn't just that. There was just a no, it was a no fun zone. Sometimes. It was a no fun zone. But okay. The, now let's go back to you because we're trailing Well, off. let's go back here. Okay. Stick with us, folks. Let's start again. Okay. Mountjoy Square in Dublin um, and Angier Street are two locations where these, where Mr. Nelson Darby starts these Bible studies. And he's looking at scripture and he's tying things together that um, if I was to show you those scriptures, you'd say, yeah, they seem to fit together. Mm-hmm. But that's, you would fit them together because I just told you they fit together. Yeah. You probably wouldn't get there on your own. And, and, and nobody really did until Mr. Darby comes along. So either A, God equipped him with an insight to be able to finally tie these ideas together and tell us all. Or B, he was like, Joseph Smith and just tied a bunch of st- well okay let me I'm going off the range there a bit okay so let me play let me interview here's my friend he's, he's dialed into the show um I'm just kidding around this is a book I've been reading and I'm going to play excerpts excerpts of it the first one is what happened I just went oh yeah yeah 
The first one is, um, it's from the book uh, Exporting the Rapture by Donald Akinson, and it's John Nelson Darby and the Victorian Conquest of North American Evangelicalism. If you do read this book, it, it gets a bit boring. It's only in the last two hours of the book. It's a 20-hour, 16-hour book where it actually gets interesting. Let me play this section here of um, talking about um, a new doctrine that, that kind of develops in the 1830s. And uh, again, the doctrine's being formed in Dublin and at Power Scourt. They're doing these Bible studies. So first section here, uh, I'll just let you listen to it. How was it that a set of ideas and practices that were virtually unknown in the early 19th century become by the mid-20th century so dominant among North American evangelicals that they were taken as having been embraced forever, part of the primordial truth of Christianity? These consisted of a radically democratic view of acceptable ecclesiastic structures, an ecclesiology that was not entirely... All right, that's good. He's, ecclesiology just, just means uh, the structure of how you set up church government. So the, the point I want to pull away from that is that people um, come in, when you come into evangelicalism, you're exposed to some of these doctrines. And I want to just say not all of evangelical has, but evangelicalism in America has, has the influence of these, but I'd say the majority of it does, a vast majority well, of, I will... sec, of people coming into evangelicalism are assuming that what we're going to get into here that was born in Dublin in the 1830s or so has always been part of Christianity. And people yeah. will tell you that, oh, it's always it has not. It's a novel doctrine started yeah. in the 1830s. Before that, these this was not a this was not a doctrine. Doctrine means a teaching of the Bible. Yeah. Go ahead. So like before 1830, if yeah. you went to some type of Christian gathering, yeah. you would not have heard no. this particular doctrine. The rapture, at all. the term rapture didn't even exist. Is the term rapture in the Bible? No, it's not. Okay. No, it's a there there was um there was a historical uh millennialism is where Christ returns for a thousand years, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of this teaching talks about the fact that there will be a rapture of God's people yeah. and, then, and then the tribulation comes. Yeah. And then they come back and they rule with Jesus. Some people believe that the rapture occurs in the middle of the tribulation, that the people, yeah. the rapture is basically the, that God's people, people have trusted in Christ as their savior, will be physically lifted off the ground into the clouds. Yeah. Right? And then, then there's there's arguments about, they call pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. It just means that Christ will rescue them from the tribulation. Right. Can, can I finish? Yes. Or he will pull them after the tribulation or the, do middle of tribulation. So the historic view on that was um, that... Um, Maybe it was mid-trip, post-trip. Some of that can drive you nuts. But basically, the the if you look at the some reading I've done on it, it's basically the rapture would look like that the people of God would actually come to meet Jesus, mm -hmm. and then they they'd bring him right back. They wouldn't be disappearing during the tribulation. Yeah, even and that, the dead rise. The dead rise. So even that. Um, Only the saved dead rise. Right. So even that is. Um, I forgot what I was gonna say. What were you gonna say? Oh, what I was going to say is just this one more thing that Christians love to argue about is when Jesus is going to return. Right. And then every time they see something happening in Israel, it, uh, the whole church or bunches of these churches get all caught up in the end time thing again. Like, oh, it's going to happen. Now it's going to happen. Everything's getting set and ready in place for the second coming of Christ. So that's what... Probably some churches are doing now. I don't go to church anymore. Yeah. But, you we know. We should go today. 
to John Hagee's Church up oh, the road. Oh, gross. I will vomit. If Come I, on. I, I will I want to go now. Do I? I will puke okay, if okay. I have to go there. Okay, okay, got it. Well, uh, you know why? Because it it's more of a trigger to you than uh, me. Can we get back to the... I want to get back to the trauma thing. Okay. That song you sang? Yeah. I want to talk about that movie. It's called A Thief in the Night. At some point, I'll get back to that movie. Right. Well, let's go back. You go back to okay, the Okay, so here we are. That. So, Powers Court. Lady uh, Baroness, uh, whatever her name is, Mrs. Powers Court. She's a rich lady. Her husband's a big deal. Um, she's Protestant. And Darby's a smart guy because what he does is he targets rich people to believe in his doctrine. Oh, and how he needs convenient a, for he him. He needs a place to meet. And if you've ever been in Powers Court, it's like Downton Abbey. It's like uh, the preacher knocking on Lord Grantham's house and saying, hey, can we have a Bible study in the library? So he succeeds. And um, so this idea that he's that he's peddling around, it does not take root in Ireland because it, it can't, because 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 Ireland is probably 95% Catholic. Yeah. So it just doesn't have a lot of footprint. The, the, the footprint of the, of the Protestant... Uh, people in in Ireland would be in so, some in Dublin, a lot in the north, but mm-hmm. mostly you're having a Catholic audience. It also doesn't take root in England, which is a primary Protestant area, but it takes it take, it grows pretty fast. But it doesn't just take root in the United States; it grows like How wildfire. How does it get over here? He he comes over a lot. John Nelson Darby oh. tours around America, and he does it. And if you think about the timeline, he's doing it during the Second Great Awakening, which happens pre Civil War. Is he an War. Irishman? I forgot to ask that He's question. He's a Dubliner, yeah. He's a Dubliner, okay. Yeah, so um, he uh, he probably talked like that. Help, give us, tell us. Well, because he was, if he was a Protestant Dubliner, he would have talked like this. Uh-huh. If he was a Catholic uh, Dubliner, he's yeah, you know what I mean? I've got this new style of preaching I want to tell you about, maybe. Yeah. This is neither here nor there. I know, but you only gave us a tiny snippet of the, of first the guy? Dublin. Yeah. Like three words. That's not. This is power score. I would like to introduce to you a new uh, doctrine of theology and let you think about a different way of viewing the scriptures. Oh, I'd love that. Where can we meet? Well, I hear you have a lovely big house, and we have eighty people who want to meet. No, mm-hmm. that sounds good. Does it? Well, it sounds a bit more British. So there would have been a bit of a British influence there on the. Okay. No idea how he's. The guy in the book imitates him, and it's like, how do you know how he sounded? Right. Well, he sounds, uh, these rich old ladies. Okay, he sounds like, like, he sounds great. I'll tell you who he sounds like. This is what he sounds like. Google Adam Clayton interview. And he's, I bet he sounded like Adam Clayton, who's the bass, as you know, the bass player uh-huh. from U2. Yeah. Did you know that? I did. Did you? Well, I didn't know which one he was. Oh, but you knew that Adam Clayton. I'm impressed. Adam Clayton, yeah. I knew. Do you know who Larry Mullen Jr. is? The drummer. Who's the, you know, the edges, right? The guitar player. Okay. You know who Paul Eusen is? Oh no! Is Bono's real name? Oh yeah, that's right. Another just while we're on a tangent, Bono Vox was the name of a jeweler's in Dublin, I think. It means and beautiful, that's where beautiful he got, voice. Yeah, Bono Vox. Is that where he got Bono? Yeah. Okay, back to back to the that. back to the regular programming. Thank you for that. Was brought to you by whatever. So um, okay, so he comes and it and it it's his timing is perfect in a way because. What's happening in America at the time is the Second Great Awakening, which is basically the expansion of the West is happening, early 1800s, and you've got these preachers going out on circuit rides and preaching in t- big tents around the, the newfound territory, mm-hmm. and um, he's, pr- I don't know if he's actually on those preaching things, but he's, he's pretty much influence- influential, so... 
A guy who becomes a big fan of John Nelson Darby is a guy called Schofield, and he writes a Bible that might be one of our first study Bibles. And a study mm-hmm. Bible is where you have the Bible, and then you have interpretation notes down below, yeah. where the person is interpreting what they mean. Yeah. Now, um, there's all kinds of study Bibles out there now. It's gone mm-hmm. crazy. You can have you can have a study Bible for men, a study Bible for women, a for study teenagers. Bible for teenagers. For kids. So you'd have a, uh, and it's trying to make it relevant, you know, uh, do not eat shrimp. Now, as a young man, this is what this means to you. Yeah. I'm trying to be, you know, so it's I, like, no, uh, you know it. what I'm saying? Exactly like, what like, just so, and, and a lot of that is the assumption of that the Bible is very clear in and of itself. And you can, uh, and here's one thing I know about the Bible. The more I've studied it, so I, I, I have an MDiv from Denver Seminary and, um, and uh, it was it was a good few years. Uh, I'm not an active minister. I was for a short time, but it was still a great few years. And now, why do I say all that? The more I studied that book, I went in there with answers, and yeah. I came out with questions. Yeah, it is not a clear book at all. There's some, you know, there's when someone says it's a guidebook for life. First of all, I'm not, I'm not slamming the book. It's an important book. I'll tell you. I know. I, okay. This, I, I disagree. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. I disagree. It's an important book. But when people say it's a guidebook for life. Here, here's how, or they say it's a. I ma- think it's, it's a disruptive. Okay, I mean, no, we know. Go, we know what you think. You talk. Okay, it's my turn. You you gave your spiel. Go back yesterday. We have to put the cursing button on for Bridget. Let loose there. When people say it's a guidebook for life, no, no, they say it's an operator's manual for life. Well, here's the here's how it's a. If that's true, here's how it's an. I'm op- making a ah, Okay, case. yeah, yeah. If I I had a Volvo once, right, and I needed yeah. to change a fuse. Yeah. Well, if here here's how it can be a Bible, uh, it can be a uh, operator's manual. I go under fuses, right? Uh huh. And I I find that the fuse is a five volt fuse. But if I do a reference under electrical, and there's a cross mm-hmm. section, and it goes under the electrical, it tells me it's a ten volt fuse. Well, I'm confused. Yeah. Is it a ten volt or a five volt? Yeah. There are parts in the Bible where you that's what it's like. If you yeah. treat it like an operator's manual. There's times where it's like, okay, uh, are we saved by faith yeah. or are we saved by works? And people do great. I even did a great job of, of trying to tie those two together. But there are, there are it's just, there's just, well, that's um, why it's you not have all that straightforward. A thousand different denominations. Yeah, yeah. Literally, because that's what happens. Yeah. And trying to tie it all together is a lot of, um, it's just a lot of energy and work and trying to make it coherent and, and to say it's very plain and just just it's not plain you know it'd be a good experiment to take 10 people who've never ever read the bible who know nothing about the bible at all yeah give each one of them a copy of the bible yeah and and make them or have them study it for like three months on their own yeah with no influence from anyone outside right they can't look up anything and then have them all report back yeah on different topics. You could actually give them different topics and have them look at the Bible on their own and then come back and tell you. And you will get 10 different answers from these people, guaranteed. Yeah. Because that's what happens. Yeah. The Bible is so complicated. Yeah. And it's it creates more division. Okay, we got to move on. Than unity. Because I'm, I'm we're losing, sorry to interrupt, but we're, we're um, getting back into episode two. So... Uh, so, some of the so we're in the states now. We've got a guy called Schofield. 
He does the Scofield Reference Bible, which is yeah. just uh, all filled with dispensational theology. So in that Bible, he's teaching this he's new doctrine. He's teaching this new doctrine, the, the, exactly. It's called the end times. Well, what do you, it's called dispensational theology, I guess. Okay. But the end, heavy emphasis on end times. And, and the end times is one of the dispensations? Um, so let me, let, let, let's take a second to talk about dispensationalism. And believe me, believe me, there's better shows uh, out there that could help you. Go get that printout, would you? might help you. Oh, you printed something? I printed what I'm about to talk about. Well, you're gone. I'm going to talk about the dispensations. Let's make sure we're still recording. Uh, I hope so. Are we still recording? Check one, two. All right. Now, let's talk about the... Oh, my gosh. Dispensations. The number of dispensations vary typically from three to eight. Okay. The first dispensation is innocence. Adam under probation prior to the fall. The dispensation of conscience from the fall to the great flood. The dispensation of government where humanity is responsible to enact the death penalty. The dispensation of the promise. Don't interrupt, please. The promise that was made to Abraham. Dispensation of law. The law is given to Moses. Dispensation of grace, which would go from Jesus to the Great Tribulation. So we're in the dispensation of grace. And the millennial kingdom coming up. I think if you're an astrologist, you're like, you're like oh, that sounds familiar. We do that too. We have stages. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, Go to Wikipedia, actually, and do dispensationalism. There's some great charts there. Now, I'm not saying it's all right, because anyone can edit this, right? Okay, so... Um, but let me take it. So the one part I want we're focusing on here to bring it back is... Um, I mentioned this... I, I mentioned the... Jeez, um, I'm all over the place here. I'm all over the place here. You can do it. I know I Come can on, do Brian, it. The United States politics. Israel has allied with U.S. evangelicals and dispensationalists to influence U.S. policy, according to Wikipedia, including protection of Jewish people in Israel and continued aid for a state of Israel. Israel's alliance with televangelist John Hagee, our homeboy here in town, Whoa. began in the early 1980s as he met with Prime Minister of Israel, Begin, Begin, Begin. Since the mid-2000s, Israel has been in commercial alliance with televangelist and sometime politician Pat Robertson. And in 2005, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that we have no greater friend in the whole world than Pat Robertson. So uh, now I've jumped ahead. Let me go back yeah, for a second. I just want to say there's nothing wrong with people being for Israel or, right. or for Palestine, either one. Just reiterating again, we're not pro or against either one. We see this as a, well, it's really just a very sad story of how this all happened. But now you've taken this, this doctrine of dispensationalism, and now it's influencing to be pro-Israel over helping these two sides reconcile and become uh, be, be in cooperation with one another to both get what they want. Instead, they're looking at this teaching from Schofield and and Darby. Yeah. And saying, okay, we're going to take this teaching and make sure that this one party, who happens to be Israel, yeah, comes out on top. Yeah. Meaning that this other... They need to. To, to enact end times, Israel needs to right. re rebuild the temple. Which right, they have been to rebuild gone. the temple, which means they have to destroy the mosque. Yes. And you know that once that happens, that's war. Oh, yeah. With all the Arab nations. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the Temple Mount, the, the yeah. mosque that's there, that's been there for a while. Yeah, that will, war will break out at that time. And then every Arab nation is allied 
with other forces in our world. An interpretation like, of this would be that God will that that will happen. They'll be surrounded, yes. but God will come in and destroy Israel's enemies. Right, and why? Because He decided in the Old Testament to randomly choose the nation yeah. of Israel for no reason. He actually says that. Yeah. He just chooses them. He easily could have chosen. I don't know. Okay, I want to get back to my history. Sorry, anyone on the planet. So yeah. it's just such a... It's just so unfair. Yeah, okay. Well, of but, a doctrine. Yeah, okay. Can I go on? Because you covered yeah, that yeah, in the yeah, episode yeah. too. Schofield Reference Bible. Uh, some big fans of Schofield Reference Bible, heavily influenced, are a guy called Lewis Schaefer, who... Um, Starts Dallas Theological Seminary, which is a down here, which which has trained. I'm making uh, another gagging face. Okay, we they don't have to know that. I think they do. Do they? I think they do okay. have to know that. Okay. Um, I like to share my true, honest feelings with people. Yeah, clearly. Um, okay, so they were they're dispensationalists, um, heavy dispensationalist theology. They're, they've trained tons of evangelical pastors over the last hundred years who spread out. Um, also, big fans of. Um, were a guy called Tory and Gray. Have you heard of Tory Gray? Tory Gray no. Auditorium? Yeah. Where is, Where is that? In Moody Bible Institute. Oh my God. So uh, they're big fans. Moody's a big fan, but uh, also the head of Biola University, which if you ever have a university, don't call it Biola. Bible Institute of Los Angeles, but they call it Biola. It sounds like Ebola. Right, it sounds like a disease. It does, yeah. Don't make a joke. What do you mean? It sounds like a disease and it's a Bible college. And I could just see you trying to connect the two. Or maybe but I that's am. very good. I didn't do that, but thank you. That's yeah, really well, good. You it is like I'm a not, disease. I'm not saying that because you could have the some. The Bible is a disease. All right, Bridget. Thanks. For... You're welcome. Yeah. Anytime, honey. So um, <laughs> so what about that? So guess who, go, who goes to Jerry Jenkins? He wrote Left Behind. Do you know where he's connected to? Moody Bible Institute. That's only because I told you. And then Tim LaHaye, yeah. who's a, known to be a solid theologian. I don't know much about Tim LaHaye, but he was a theological oversight of... And I don't know how, I think, I don't know how about, about Tim LaHaye, but I don't think mm -hmm. he's... Um, by the way, Denver Seminary was not... I'm a proud alum, alum of Denver Seminary. They were not big into this left-behind thing. They would crack jokes about the left-behind dispensationalist theology. Yeah, so they weren't very hokey-pokey? They were not in that camp. They, they're, I, I think they're solid um, scholars down there personally yeah. you may not agree with their oh, outcomes in but... a future episode i'm gonna teach everyone how to speak in tongues okay great um <laughs> yeah it's a joke yeah so the bible but the bible institutes were born around the early 1900s too so now mm -hmm. people could instead of going to a worldly college where you you get drunk and your kids burn all your money up you could send your kid to a bible college now, right. to do that, though, they had to make sure that they, they were aligned with the some teaching institute. But in a Bible college, you're getting an alternate view of education because there right. was a concern that if you raise your kid in the, in the church, they go to college and then they become an atheist because now they're being taught evolution and all these worldly things. And when I say worldly things, I mean it's it comes from a um, interpretation. Everything that's outside of the Christian outside, doctrine outside is, is, is worldly. Bad. So... Um, so think about that. You got now. You get you get um, these seminaries that are cranking out pastors, Bible institutes that are cranking out pastors. And by the way, a Bible institute is an undergrad, and it usually it usually does not give you does the the level you... of teaching that you get in a seminary where you're getting into the historic history. You're getting into the actual languages themselves, 
like you, where you're studying how the the nuances in the Greek. So you're not and, studying and languages on the. Not in a Bible Institute. It's oh, if you know a Bible okay. Institute that actually teaches you how to. I I don't mean how to use software. I mean to teach you how to parse a Greek verb and Greek words, and how there's nuances there. Which still doesn't really even matter, because even people who are doing that kind of work. Yeah. They still can. Um, they're still coming up with all kinds of crazy doctrines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you go in, it with doesn't it, even matter if you, if okay. So like, there's a faith called Jehovah Witness, yeah. and they think that their founders knew Hebrew and knew all the languages, which yeah. that's a very controversial thing. They say that they don't. They had a year of Greek, which 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 we were told is enough to make you dangerous. I think it's all dangerous. No, but yeah. Well, let's stay on the topic though. Right, we, you're, we know you're what taking you think. people who don't speak Greek, who don't right. speak Arabic, Aramaic, yeah. who don't speak Hebrew. Yeah. And that, they, no, act, they act like they do. because they take a few classes yeah. in the language, they don't even become native speakers. They're not living back yeah, in yeah. the day when when they're in a community so, speaking So, good point. It. So, it's not just the language. There's also the study of the history of the culture, of yeah. the times, what was going on. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. And then uh, they think they can tell you exactly what it means. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So, I think, so now we come to a point where we have this Left Behind series coming out of these books. Yeah. Heavily influenced by dispensationalist yeah. theology. Um, talk, about, talk about the rapture. But also, this uh, theology influences the evangelical church, which mm-hmm. aligns itself pretty strongly with the republicanism. So um, you have people like, uh, I don't know what uh, Trump's advisor, Paula White, I don't know what she believes, but she's kind of way out there. Yeah. And you've got her who's being a spiritual advisor to Trump and possibly influencing his foreign policy, which there's got to be some constitutional amendment where it's like, you can't just have any other, any old whack job as your, as your spiritual advisor when you're the president of the United States. Well, there is a thing called freedom of religion in yeah. this country. Yeah. Because is a president freedom free to, to listen to any old whack job? Yes, he is. There's, that's like So let's go to Lord of the Rings reference, King Theodore. He obviously doesn't think yeah. she's a whack job. Or maybe he does. His face in some of those photos when she's praying for him. It's like, what the hell are you He's like. Here? He looks like he's amused. Like, oh, this is a very interesting. But she, so she's a pre, she's a, and maybe they're. By the way, she know who she's married to. No. The keyboardist with Journey. Really. I know. It's just odd, isn't it? Not odd. It's just interesting. Because he's well, cool. Well, honestly, I don't. You don't care. When someone's religious now, like uh, I was listening to a podcast yesterday with Tig Notaro and yeah. uh, Cheryl from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, basically they were talking about a documentary they had watched and this guy said he was a preacher or whatever. And Tig was saying how like instantly she got turned off Yeah. by that. And it's like, like you were becoming a, you can were going to be. Can you start over? Cause. Did you get distracted or am I being unclear? I got distracted. Okay. Oh, so Tig Nataro. Tig Nataro was listening to her podcast. Shout out by the way. And I'm that show one Mississippi. That's, That's so a lovely good. show. One Mississippi lovely on show. Amazon Prime. That's a gem of a show. Um. Anyway, 
they were talking about a documentary they just watched uh, called Vernon, Florida, I think. Okay. These really hick people. Yeah. That live there in that town. But anyway, uh, one of the guys was a preacher. And anyway, Tig Notaro was like, she was just saying how like that instantly that like turned her off. Yeah. And there is this whole thing that goes with someone being a preacher or a pastor. Yeah. And that now, or even like a priest these days with all of the sexual yeah. allegations that have been coming up. Yeah. But it's just now, like I don't, and I know that all preachers aren't terrible people. Yeah. But so many religious people are just really bad people. And so, but she, so Tig had a reaction when, when he said, Yeah, he was she a had a reaction. Like right, right. in her mind, like yeah. if you say you're a preacher, like instantly raises red flags. Like, who are you really? You know what I mean? Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because religion and being a preacher and a pastor and all of these things can attract like some really it's interesting just unique the term characters because you get to be a celebrity a preacher so that's a i think preacher is an american term that we wouldn't have like it'd be a minister or a priest or a pa- like pastor minister priest have a bit more let's say pastor and minister have a bit more of a feeling of i'm here to serve you whereas preacher says i'm here to tell you something yeah and I know there are a lot of wonderful preachers and pastors out there who are great people. Like you were going to be one and you are a great person and you don't have yeah. hidden disgusting things that are going on underneath the surface. Right, that you know of. Right. Well I hope I hope not. I'm just joking. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like these televangelists, these preachers who get on TV and they want all this fame. Yeah. And and to be like a, a like a Hagee or Hagee, whatever how you say his name? Hagee. Hagee. To be someone who stands up and is preaching and getting excited and joyous over a God Killing. who's gonna wipe out oh, yeah, he said most of humanity. He said we and have, to we think have, that's a good thing. He said we have to support um Israel against the enemy. Like who is the enemy um Hamas? Is the enemy those kids? By the way, one thing I wanted to add before we finish this. We're not quite finished. But I've kind of... Well, let me stop for a sec. Have I brought you from Power Score to Palestine? Yes. Now, can you articulate back to me how you got there? Okay, so basically Power Score was this really cool castle-like place in yeah. Ireland. Yeah. And this dude, Darby, yeah. he had formed his own theology that he came up with. And he taught it to these rich old ladies and then he started spreading it around and this 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 was time during the second great awakening and then he started making trips over to the united states and then he met schofield who thought oh this is really cool and then schofield started writing books about it and then that led to him to one other person who was next in the line well i think that went from there to the dallas theological seminary to to, to the bible colleges into Moody. Moody, which is which has sent missionaries around the right, world then, with that then theology. That becomes mainstream out into right. not just evangelical churches, but you've got the United Pentecostal Churches, Baptist Assemblies of God. I would say all of them connect in. Yeah, and then you know, and even your other off-brand sects, yeah. they are also very much into 
the end of the world. They're they're doomsday cults is what they are. So this is yeah. no different than like a Jim Jones and so what Star. What was that one? I don't know. Anyway. What I don't what I don't think I've tied well together though is um, this theology around uh, the importance of backing Israel. Well, I did right, I did press on it. Israel. I think I pressed on it where it's like. That God will intervene for Israel, and they interpret Israel as not the not necessarily that they're looking at it as the state of Israel. Right. So if the state of Israel comes up with a policy that just seems so against the scriptures and so against Jesus' right. words about like loving your enemy, children. against being kind to the outsider, and all of that stuff, it's overlooked because it's like it doesn't matter. We gotta right. it, it we, we gotta back Israel at all costs. Right. And if you do that to the extreme. Then you start to get when you start when when Arab people, Muslim people around the world start seeing young Palestinian children get killed, mm-hmm. and you're, you're going to have what I call the Tony Stark effect, and I'll talk about that in a second. That's a reaching, uh, and that is um, well, let me explain it now. In in in, in the Avengers, mm-hmm. in the Age of Ultron, yeah, um, Tony Stark <clears throat> is a weapons manufacturer, yeah, and his or his dad makes these weapons. Right, one of these weapons lands inside of a building. Mm-hmm. Where these two kids, um, Wanda and their brother, whose name I can't remember, they're they're mute, they become mutants and stuff uh-huh. in Sokovia, and they're under the bed, and the rocket doesn't go off, and they mm-hmm. sit there for two days under great stress, waiting for this thing to go off. It never does, yeah. and they see the name Stark on it. And the reason yeah. that I say that is because when when uh, the, the the people in Palestine, if if I don't know where those weapons are coming from, yeah. I don't know if they're U.S. weapons, but my point is every bomb that goes in there, yeah, people are associating it back to the United States because they call us right. the big Satan. Right. And that's 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 problematic. And I think the United States right. needs to be known as, as someone who is seeing both sides, who doesn't have a theological horse in the race, but is, is there to bring peace. And they want they want the best for both. And I think right. and I right. think this theology that, that got unleashed in power scored has become a cancerous thing that is affecting our foreign policy. Right, in the Republican Party specifically. It, oh, yeah, that, oh, well, for sure. Because the evangelicals, that's where they have their base camp. Yes. Is in the Republican Party. Because there are a lot of Republicans who are not evangelical Christians. Yeah. They're Republicans for very different reasons. Yeah. And they might not even be aware of this. Um. But I was gonna say something else and I forgot. Oh, well, this that's is all. So like, it's so crazy to think that people involved in government are like want to push things towards the end of the world. Yeah. They really want the world to end. Like, people. I talked to someone in my world who is in a who believes in doomsday uh theology and it's like if i mention something about taking care of the earth or things like that the attitude i get back is oh well i just i know how it is and i know how mankind is and that's just the way it's going to be it's almost like well, what does that mean when they say that? Well, it just means like I don't anyway. really have to do anything about it because I know it's all going to be end destroyed. The end is near. Yeah, yeah, the end is near, and God's going to destroy everybody except oh us like perfect people who have all the right answers. 
Well, and there, but no, no, it's interesting. But the theology also affects the environment because there's a view that yeah, it's a, a scripture that's pulled and says at the end, God will burn it all up. So people who believe we're in the end times and that we're about to, it's all going to be over and Jesus is coming soon. They believe well, the planet's going to be destroyed by God by fire. Right. So what's right. the point of getting worried about um, recycling? So I had a friend actually in, right. in Boulder who was part of a church group there and he said, where's your recycling? And she said, we don't have it. She goes, don't worry, but it's all going to burn up anyway. That's not a that's not a unique mindset, by the way. That's not a unique mindset. Yeah. So, okay, I've finished my job. I hope you guys enjoyed. Yeah, our I think journey. did we wrap it up? We wanted to talk about this because when we were watching what was going on, yeah, it was so disheartening because it makes me sad to think that people really want the world to end, and that they think that's okay, and they think it's okay that. You know, you like bomb people that can't defend themselves and that that's okay and we should just like not think about them at all simply because they're Palestinians and they're descendants of Ishmael because of this dumb theology that we've been fed. Um, And I think it's just a sad story of a broken dysfunctional family. You know, that's my opinion, and I think it's, yeah, I mean, I hope they can figure out a way to reconcile, but I really, honestly, I don't think that's ever going to happen, because. Well, it happened in Northern Ireland. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. Maybe it's a good way to, 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 I can't call it a cherry on top, but, um, so I grew up in, uh, my mom's parents were Catholics in Northern Ireland outside Mm -hmm. Belfast, and, um, not far, yeah, anyway. Um, and they left in the 1920s and went to Chicago. And then my dad's side, mm-hmm. it's County Mayo, both Catholic, right? But they were minority Catholics up there yeah. in the north. What happened in the north after the partition of um, Ireland in 1921, where 26 counties went south, Republic, and then mm-hmm. the other six counties went north. And, and um, so that, that section was primarily Protestant, which was primarily Scottish and English protestants that came into the area of northern ireland mm-hmm. in like the 1600s under the conquest yeah um catholics felt like they've been pushed out of their homes yeah um which they were when the protestant english came in and took over that land in the 1600s they they pushed out catholic landowners and made them tenants and took their land so the catholics in that section always felt like their homes were taken from them right and they were suppressed against and they were you couldn't vote you could, you were in the shittiest house. Mm-hmm. You uh, you were a second class citizen. Yeah. And after a while, what happened was you saw the rebirth of the IRA, which was a they were a terrorist organization. They yeah. did terrible things, and I would never defend them. But what happened is I think the voice of the people couldn't be heard, and it turned toxic and it turned violent. And then you yeah. had the IRA come out, which became this global terrorism group. Yeah. Um. What. What would uh, so I think that the parallel is that I think that's what's happened there with Hamas. Uh, that mm-hmm. that the, the this terrorist organization has has come out because the because the people aren't being heard, and that's what happens when you oh, don't get heard. Yeah, I wanted to say something about that. Yeah, can you follow me along though? Because I'm sorry, okay. I'm sorry. Well, I'm just saying like so. I I think I co- I come from the background. I didn't live in Northern Ireland, but I grew up Catholic. But I, yeah. I know what it's like to be associated. Like, they were my people being yeah. uh, oppressed. I did not like what the IRA was doing, but... Um, I remember George Bush Sr. 
sided with the English because the head of uh, he wasn't the head of the IRA. He's now a political guy, Jerry. Um, oh my gosh, how could I forget his name? Jerry Adams um, came to the table to negotiate, and they had a peace deal that they have, did in the nineties. And and um, uh, but I remember Bush saying, you know, we can't have this terrorist guy come to the table, and because England's our friend. But my point is, what if America had backed England during all that? How right. would we have felt? How would Catholics have felt about America exactly. sticking exactly. their nose in? So I think the parallel there is that you do have. Um, you do have this these people who are being locked in there, yeah, and and feel like they're living in hell, and I just all I'm saying is when you're on an American side and you've never known what it feels like to be oppressed, mm-hmm. you may lean on the side of the oppressor, and may it not be that America is known to be an oppressor, and 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 we we, we need to be known as as the as the people. Who are able to take both sides and be compassionate to both sides and and that we're not using language like the enemy i think biden is trying to do that yeah but it's really hard because you have that's well we're not dependent anymore on middle eastern oil which is a good thing yeah that gives us more negotiating power yeah in that area of the world um so the other thing I was going to say about Hamas in that documentary I watched called Gaza, yeah. Hamas is kind of causing these problems yeah. where if they would let the people speak, because yeah. Hamas isn't letting the Palestinian people. Uh, interesting. He, they're not letting them speak. Yeah. And the Palestinians, all they want is their freedom right. to move about the world freely. But Hamas, and I need to study it some more, but Hamas is basically messing it up for them right you know yeah um yeah so it'll be interesting to see like if the palestinian people could get rid of hamas right that might change the whole nature yeah of the negotiations and what i mean the ira did go away i don't know if they'll come back but they did you know when i say they will away they they it stopped the violence stopped for a few decades i don't know if if it's for if for brexit if it's sneaking back in but i'm just saying there is hope it's not through vi- it's not right. through violence. Right. And what we and didn't touch on too is the other side of the equation that in the in the Muslim some of the radical Muslims are also anti-Israel. Yeah. So you have that whole thing too where you have these two nations. Yeah. against one another just like the Catholics against the Protestants. Yeah. And um, again what does it cause from? It's a division of religion. Well, and I see in the Irish and thing, I would just—it's it is and it isn't. In the Irish thing, it's also about land. A land. Give me it's back land my, Like too. you kick me out of land. my home. So it's like almost those, like they go hand in hand, land when, and religion. Yeah, when the Irish, when the Catholics tried to take their land back, um, yeah, Cromwell came in and flattened them, and it, yeah, you know, because then because the story's well. coming back, where oh, there's thousands and thousands. anyway. All right, I think that's. I think we've said enough, and we're going to wrap it up. This is the end of our so episode sad. three. Okay, and you would, love, would, you like, would you like to wrap it up on a high note? Well, Maggie looks very cute because she's asleep under the bed. Oh, yeah, she, she is. She likes to get under her bed even though she's a really big dog. And oh, now she, she just uh, heard her name. Would so you like she's to, gonna come say hi. Would you like to come, come here, you like to come say hi into the microphone? Can we say hi? Say I seeping? She has like a bug or something on her head. Come to the mic. I think she might have a tick on her head. Well, okay. I don't know. All right, well, everybody, okay. this has been the Sea Where It Goes podcast, and we'll wrap up episode three. Power score. Okay. Bye, guys. Have a wonderful week. Bye bye.